Welcome to the uh, to the daily objective, day one hundred and two of the war in Israel. Um, <clears throat> so the the title for today was uh, how Israel could have prevented October seventh, but the context is this recent report that came out that the plan that Iran had for uh, for that attack, which they apparently didn't have the the date for, was for it to be what. We actually spoke about in the early days uh, of the war and thought might be coming, which is a coordinated attack uh, by Hamas from Gaza, by um, Hezbollah from Lebanon. Uh, apparently, there was there were going to be some attacks um, from Syria by Iranian forces or Iranian proxies. <clears throat> and yeah, again, we we spoke in the early days of the war, like we, we were wondering. Is this about to happen? Is this about to happen once Israel is is in Gaza in a ground operation? Um, what apparently, according to those reports, happened was there was the, the plan was to attack more or less together. Uh, Hamas didn't inform anyone about when they're going to do their part. Uh, Hezbollah wasn't fully ready, and when they saw uh, when they saw the response specifically by the U.S they decided to back down. The U.S. immediately said that they were sending an aircraft carrier to the region, and Hezbollah decided not to go ahead with the attack. So the first first point here is it tells you something that we all already know, which is the, the fact that um, the West keeps losing the weaker enemies, much, much weaker militarily, is... You know, it's not inevitable. It, it can... Um, you know, these wars can be won... Militarily, they can also be won just by a show of strength, because just the fact that the U.S. made it clear to Hezbollah that they will likely be destroyed completely if they do this um, made them back down, whereas Hamas did what they did because they saw the weakness in Israel, both in Israel's defense and in, in internal politics in Israel. So, Morgan, um, your your initial thoughts on on this story and uh, what we can learn from it. Um, I agree basically with what you said. So for people who are unaware of this, this is coming from Al Shark, which is a Saudi news source. Um, and it's a report coming through them, which has then been filtered through to the Israeli media. Um, and yeah, and it seems like after um, when the conflict broke out again in 2021, uh, in what was called the guard, was it the guardian of guardian of the walls, operating guardian walls, something like that uh, by the IDF. Um, supposedly, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah discovered some weaknesses within uh, the IDF's forces and ways to exploit them. So <clears throat> it's I, I, as I understand the report, they're basically saying that they've been planning to launch a coordinated attack for the last two years. Um, and then somehow Hezbollah was caught off guard, wasn't expecting it to be on October 7th. And so what didn't join in straight away. And then as you say, my glasses are still smudged. Um, as you say, Given the American show of force, they didn't join in, and so they only they deigned only to join in ceremonially. Um, I think they're doing a little bit more than ceremonially, but they've certainly not gone as hard as they could have done. Um, Israel could have really been fighting a war fully fledged on two fronts, whereas really, it's fighting a war on one front with skirmishes coming in from Lebanon, uh, which is still very serious, but it's better than it could be. And I agree that I think the the major thing here to note is that Hezbollah backed down because of the American show of support. Um, and that, and it was because of the aircraft carriers that were sent by the US. So it goes to show one, just how much Western support can help Israel. It really can mean something, but also that it doesn't have to be 
active military support itself. It doesn't have to be um, Western soldiers there firing guns, right? There has to be the implication of that. But basically all um, that was done at that point was that the that Hezbollah knew that the American aircraft carriers were going to be there and the threat which they posed. Um, so when people kind of uh, criticize the West for getting involved, actually, I think what you should realize from this is that Western aid to Israel can produce some very, very good things. It would be much worse if Hezbollah were fully involved in the war effort. Um, so that was the major takeaway from it, I thought. Um, and also, and as well, I suppose, just how ragtag and, and um, uncoordinated the enemies Israel faces really are. I mean, the fact that Hezbollah was caught off guard with this shows that it's not like a, we're facing a, or Israel's facing this crack team of amazing fighters um, like the SAS or something. They're, they're actually rather disorganized. And if Israel really wanted to, could probably um, defeat them wholeheartedly. And it's probably just because of holding back that they still persist. So yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, the fact that Hamas managed to do what it did is is a definite show of strength on on their side and on Iran's side. Remember, Hamas is nothing compared to Hezbollah. So had this happened in a coordinated uh, attack when when Israel wasn't prepared, the damage from the north would have been. I don't think I don't think we can understand what could have happened there. I mean, it it could you know tens of thousands of Israelis would have died. It wouldn't be unimaginable that uh, some parts of the north of Israel would be occupied by Hezbollah to this day. Um, yeah, Israel Israel is, is not properly winning this war. It would have lost that war. And and again, it goes back to the point of, there was a comment in the chat here that I will read uh, just because of how wrong it is. So, uh, um so the person says, I think the big problem for the U.S. is that it never seems to have a proper exit strategy planned for any of its conflicts. No, the problem is the U.S. never has a victory strategy planned. And the, the idea is, you know, they go into war always at this point, always apologetically. They went into Afghanistan. As we mentioned, the first thing they dropped on Afghanistan was food and medicine. The fact that they chose Afghanistan as uh, as the target after 9/11 was also a um, a show of of weakness to the uh, Islamic world to say, you know, there there is no way of pretending that we don't know where Islamic terrorism comes from, where it's funded from, where people are educated to think this is okay. It's not just Iran, by the way. Iran, of course, should be the first target and, and should have been the target long before 9/11. But you know. Saudi Arabia is an ally. You know, the Saudi royal family showed up in uh, in in the White House. I think they were the first ones to show up there uh, after 9/11. So, and and to this day again, we are we are funding uh, we were talking yesterday about how we're funding uh, UNRWA, you know, through the UN and funding funding Hamas through UNRWA. We're also funding Hamas through Qatar, uh, you know, for, through our, our acceptance of Qatar as, an, as a legitimate trading partner uh, to the West while we know where that money goes. And by the way, make sure you watch tomorrow's episode of The Daily Objective. I uh, will be joined by Benjamin Weintal from the Jerusalem Post to talk about how Qatar also funds, uh, among other organizations, but specifically Human Rights Watch. And yeah, 
This money, Western money goes towards um, arming our enemies militarily and arming them intellectually. Um, and yeah, we should stop doing that. And we should think, you know what, if, if showing it, if saying, announcing that we're sending an aircraft carrier to the area makes the terrorists back down, imagine if we showed a, a actual military strength against any one of those enemies, you know, October 7th or 8th, could have been the time to show that strength in Gaza and say to the rest of the world, there can be many more places that will look like Gaza, you know, should have looked like, like, uh, like Dresden looked like in, uh, in 1945. So, but yeah, that's unfortunately not where we are. Thank you, Jonathan, Jonathan, for the super chat, Morgan. Um, There's something I want to disagree with, but I'll, or I'll ask you about more than disagree with, but um, just to start on common ground, I guess. Um, to the question that the person had about um, the West doesn't have an exit strategy and you said uh, they don't have a, a victory strategy. They don't really know what they're doing whilst they're there. Um, I recently read Rory Stewart's recent book and he was a governor in, I think it was in Iraq or somewhere and was sort of deeply involved in what went on in Afghanistan and so on. So he was quite interesting in reading his reflections on that war and how it went because he was basically on the ground, <clears throat> one of the people who was sort of sorting it out. Um and he said that he went into a meeting where Western officials would say that what people in Iraq want is a gender-sensitive, pluralistic, uh, what was it, forward-thinking democracy based on human rights and the rule of law. And he said that he couldn't even translate that into a language that Iraqis would understand, right? So just the West goes in with sort of deluded ideas of nation building um, and trying to put upon some of these countries' Western values without any idea of where these, what these values are based on and where they come from. And when they then try to institute them, they just collapse. Right. So <clears throat> I agree with that, that the West, it's probably true that the West doesn't have an exit strategy, but I agree that the West doesn't even have any clue of what victory would mean or even how to institute it when they're there. Um, but then what you said about uh, pushing back on me about saying that the enemies are a bit ragtag. Do you not think that really October 7th is an example, not of the sophistication of Israel's enemies, but it's a, it's, it was an exploitation of weakness within Israel uh, and of disorganization within Israel. Um, so, so it was almost like a stumbling to victory rather than a sort of like well thought through plan. Now, it's interesting to see that in this report, they've apparently been planning to do this for two years or something like this for two years. But October 7th, to me, if Israel... Um, had their, you know, their borders sorted out and didn't have all these internal conflicts and so on. It seems like October 7th could have been stopped. There was an interesting article today that was about some of the women who were on the border um, on October 7th who had been warning, so it seems, um, the Israeli military that something was going to happen and they were basically ignored, it seems. So do you not think... And so that's not that's a problem within Israel. It's not, it's not, to the, it's not a sign of the sophistication of Israel's enemy. So um, my point was they're more, more sophisticated than had previously been thought. But yeah, of course, Israel Israel gave them the opportunity by not being well prepared. And I don't I don't like the um, the way it's being spoken about. You know, they they didn't have enough uh, border security. They shouldn't focus on border security. They should have focused on defeating the enemy. So what you know, the right response to what they knew was happening, or what whatever they knew about something being planned, is the right response to what should have been done in the early 2000s when rockets started being fired, which was a military operation in Gaza that completely 
uh, at the very least demilitarizes the area. You know, the only the only guns would be Israeli military guns and um, and yeah, an, an occupation or whatever you want to call it that is permanent that that, is, that says, look, there, there is no way forward that does not involve Israel being in control of Gaza. There is a potential way forward for people there if they want to become decent human beings to live in the very distant future as uh, as as you know citizens of Israel. Um, there should definitely be a, a possibility of just getting out and going elsewhere. But yeah, Israel uh, Israel's loss on October seventh was a loss of weakness in not being ready to um, to attack the enemy. Uh, when when you know what the enemy lives for. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. I suppose we're not really disagreeing then. Um, fair enough. I don't I don't have anything else to add on onto that particular point. Uh, well, I I did have something else to add about. Um, you said you know they they didn't know what they wanted in Iraq and so on. So there was a Bush doctrine at, at the time, which as far as I can tell was basically exporting democracy. Uh, so they had an idea. It, the problem is it was idiotic as an idea, and and it's not it's not even what the essence of America is. America is not you know it's not a democracy. It's, it's a constitutional republic that elects its leader, leaders, but th- that's not the essence of it. The essence, I think, was supposed to be limited government. Doesn't look that limited now, but um, yeah, look when you when you go to war, it has to be. You know, you have to be convinced that this is the last resort, As, uh, but it, it can be done preemptively, but it has to be the last resort, as in there is no other way to do it. And if you if you do have to, to go to that war, you have to go in with the intention to completely defeat the enemy militarily and uh, defeat their, their will to ever fight you again. So... That was absolutely not was done. What was done in Afghanistan or Iraq? It, it, it was fought very much the way Israel fights in Gaza, with this delusion that the people are not our enemy. Where, of course, the people were our enemy. I think in Afghanistan there were some people who wanted not the Taliban. That doesn't necessarily mean that what they wanted was good, but they didn't want the Taliban. And in Iraq there were different there were different factions, but also for the most part bad ones. Uh, in Gaza, it's it's uh, it's as far as I can tell, close to unanimous. You know, the fact that we talk about that video of the woman who was silenced uh, says a lot about how much uh, opposition there is in Gaza. Um, so, so yeah, the, the West needs to shift its its whole perspective on war, on how to deal with enemies, how to deal with hostile countries that may not yet be considered enemies, but may be encouraged to see the West as potential enemies because of the weakness that the West is showing when it actually uh, finds itself in military conflict. Sure, and I guess when I say they don't, uh, they don't know what they what they want when they're there. I guess I mean that they don't really fully understand what they're talking about. Um, because again, when they go in, what was what was one of their major aims? It was to hold elections, as if elections were the you know the meaningful thing to be doing. And it was the same with Gaza. Um, the, was it the was it the EU who came in with? Um, people for the garden elections in 2006 to make sure that they were sort of uh, all the voting was being done properly. And <clears throat> when we had the plan coming out, was it a week or two ago that was proposed by uh, the, the Israeli defense minister? One of, one of the major things in it 
or maybe it was in the Egyptian plan, which was very similar to, was to prepare Gaza for elections as if that's that's what's really important and what will be secure be security for the future because the last time they had elections they elected hamas so people in the west they they view the the basis of western civilization and the thing which we need to export is is the democratic process and whilst you know there's nothing wrong with the democratic process in the sense of electing leaders it's not the most fundamental thing when you're transforming a society which has for so long basically been in the dark ages, you don't just fly in an electoral process and then think this will sort it all out. It's getting it completely backwards. So yeah, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think we're disagreeing on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth uh, you know talking about that for a minute. The fact that they they the West demanded elections in Gaza. They their options were the PLO and Hamas. Their options were. You know what's the best way to kill Jews? The, the, that was the starting point, and the fact that the ones elected were the let's do October seventh again and again, and and of course they would have done it on October seventh, two thousand and seven, if they had the um, the the possibility or or any time sooner. They had already been killing as many Jews as they could, and it just it just so happened that Israel allowed them the freedom to prepare to kill Jews on a much larger scale than they had previously done. So yeah, it, it's when I see when I see people in Israel and the West, and this is why I keep quoting myself from October 8th and and you know encouraging people to go and watch the shows that we did. Um on October 7th, we did a show while this was going on. Uh, and then we did shows on October 8th and October 9th we did a show titled Why Israel Can't Win. And it was always this. It was the, the issue was always that Israel doesn't have the moral backbone. Israel's leadership doesn't have the moral backbone, and it doesn't have the the backing of anybody with moral backbone because it has this half-assed support from the U.S. that we knew from day one is you know a support for a victim of an attack that's going to become uh, you know it's going to it's going to become a little bit less and less, and then it's going to become virtually uh, basically it's going to become what it is now, which is okay. Now that you're responding, the other side is actually the victim. No, you know, the fact that 9-11 and, and October 7th weren't complete game changers in how the West sees its enemies in the Middle East is something that should should terrify us all. Absolutely. And I guess, so this this report hasn't really garnered much traction in international headlines so far, whereas it really kind of should, it should do. Maybe it's that it, this is what people would expect to have been going on all along, but I, but I suspect not. Um, so hope, hopefully in the next few days, we'll, we'll see this getting more into the English language uh, media. I had to, it was quite hard for me to actually find the original version of this article. Razi sent the article to me in Hebrew and I had to translate it. And then I, I basically originally found the original in English, but, but that was still from Israeli sources. Um, and the reason why this should be shocking is that <clears throat> this isn't the first time there's been a coordinated attack on Israel that happened in 1948, that happened in 1973. And the fact that, in a sense, those wars aren't enough to discredit Israel's enemies completely in the eyes of the international community, in the sense that they should then wholeheartedly support Israel as, as the victim of aggression um, in all these cases is completely shocking. And what, you know, in my ideal world, what would happen now is that they would see that this planning has been going on and realize that Israel was the victim of a coordinated attack by two terror groups and realize, oh, we should actually be wholeheartedly behind Israel doing what it's doing. And yet, ultimately, I think we know that's not what's going to happen. 
Yeah, uh, on the point of it didn't garner international media attention, uh, you know, we we here at the Ayn Rand Center UK decide every every day what we're going to cover on the Daily Objective, what we're going to cover on the reality show. So so does every you know so do big media organizations, news channels. They choose what to what to um, what to cover. Now we're very clearly uh, a commentary channel with a position on this. Uh, that we we don't pretend otherwise. Some people who claim to uh, tell you the news do pretend otherwise, but yeah, they they have a reason why they want to focus why why they'll focus on what's going on in Gaza and then blame blame Israel for it. Uh, why, for example, the terrorist attack in Israel uh, yesterday wasn't also wasn't in the in the in the news. Why the attack by Hezbollah where two Israelis died a couple of days earlier also wasn't in the news. Why, when uh, London is filled with um, with pro Hamas protesters, it's reported as people calling for a ceasefire. And why the next day, when people are calling for release of the hostages, it's covered much less. Uh, yeah, editorial, you know, editorial control is uh, is a good thing, but it's also a good thing to be honest about where you stand. And of course, I think the the way they're exercising, for the most part, the vast majority of media organizations exercising editorial control here is not good they don't want to tell the world yeah october 7th not just it wasn't just hamas promising it'll happen again and again until there are no more jews left to kill it's the other proxies of iran that are still waiting you know this is this is the thing we need to understand about this this particular report hezbollah wasn't prepared maybe on the moment on october 7th to take part and then waited to see what America did. And America said, we're sending a, an aircraft carrier. And then they backed down a little bit, although they're still attacking on a daily basis. But the fact that this was going to happen tells you that Hezbollah is ready. They are ready. So when, you know, when America isn't there and when Israel is kind of asleep again, this will happen. So this, this, and this is something that the Israeli people should really uh, demand of their government. Israel needs to be the one to strike first and and strike properly, and absolutely in in southern Lebanon, you know, in in Gaza, hundred ninety Israeli soldiers have died so far, uh, and you know that is I think more tragic to us than it is to Israel's leadership because it keeps sending them to die when it could win the war um, more decisively without their deaths. You will not have that option with southern Lebanon. The enemy there is so much stronger that Israel will actually lose that war if it tries to fight it the way it's fighting in Gaza. It does need to fight it in a way where, um, you know, southern Lebanon needs to become what North Gaza is now on day one. Probably, yes. I mean... So you said they'll. You think they'll lose if they fight it the way they've been fighting the war. But you don't think because Israel surely can outmatch Hezbollah if they were properly fighting the war. I take it that's what you're saying. Absolutely. If Israel fights with the full might of yeah. its military, it can defeat Iran as well. But that you know the the full might of its military against Iran means something that would be very problematic. Uh, you know, in terms of international relations. But yeah, yeah. I mean. Anything Israel does is problematic in terms of international relations, but uh, but yeah, I, I think yeah, southern Lebanon needs to be be turned into rubble for Israel to uh, do its job and defend its citizens. Yeah, I can see the case of that. I mean, 
I think basically your point points towards a problem in the way people think about these things, which is that I think the reaction from the international community is is immensely short-sighted in the sense that I don't think anyone's under any illusions that Israel's enemies are plotting against them the whole time. And that Israel, if it were being long-term in terms of its foreign policy, if it were conceiving it in the long-term, and if it were being decisive about protecting its interests, even when, let's let's say there's, you know, this com- this portion of the conflict is resolved um, and Iran hasn't actively taken a military action against them. Israel should still take some, should still take military action against people like Iran or Hezbollah or the Houthis, whoever, um, even if they haven't done something in the immediate moment to trigger it. But I think in the eyes of people in the West or just in, in the international community, if there hasn't been an immediate trigger cause to result in the military action sort of in the moment, they'll be shocked and they'll view it as aggression and they won't be able to take into account the the broader context. And I, I'm not really sure what that point is. I don't know if it's a, a lack of serious thinking. I don't know if it's just a lack of being able to project these things in the long term, thinking principle. I'm not sure. But that's a definite problem that Israel's coming up against, I think. Thank you, Bonnie, for the super chat. Thank you, thank you Christian. Christian says, Han Solo shot first, Razi two. Um, that is a Star Wars reference, right? Yeah, yeah. Greto shot first. You don't know that? Uh, I'm afraid not. But I will uh, uh, put it on my uh, to-watch list. Um, yeah. So, you know, the the situation, the, the sad thing about the situation is the war in Gaza will, will fizzle out. It, it's already fizzling out. Israel is pulled out. I don't know if most of its troops, but many uh it it won't be a decisive victory even against hamas which as we've said before here should not be how israel defines the enemy the enemy is the palestinian people which of course means you need to you need to defeat the will to fight among anybody in gaza and the west bank uh you know attacks are coming out of the west bank all the time some are successful some are not um and yeah we know that after the war fizzles out the west will keep being on Israel's case, the the worst elements of the West will keep being on Israel's case. Unfortunately, if Israel had leadership uh, like Netanyahu, Netanyahu himself or anybody like him, then um, what that means is that international pressure will be very effective. Israel will absolutely not imagine a scenario where they act against Iran, but they also won't be acting properly against uh iranian proxies and um yeah and i think so it is just a matter of time unfortunately until the next big attack and the next big attack can be much much bigger than um october 7th i think that's something we knew on october 7th certainly on this channel because we talked about it you can go back and watch um we we know it now after this report and uh yeah i uh, you know i i would i've said i'd love for this channel to go back to the days when we were talking about things like why environmentalists want us to save the planet by not flushing the toilet but uh, for now we are still going to be talking about this for a, a very long time in the reality show coming up in a minute we are going to be talking about south africa south africa versus south africans uh so make sure you tune in for that that is, uh, if you're watching live, starting now. If you're watching recorded, it's already started or finished. You can find it on the channel. Thank you, Morgan. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you in a minute.